Welcome to Leadership of Fools, opening the boardroom door to real leadership conversations. Here keeping the ship afloat is the amazing Alice Sidhu. Wow, what an introduction. Thanks, Rick. I'm so delighted to be here. Yeah. First one of the season for me. I know. It's the first one for everyone. Okay. I feel like we've been, <laughs> I'm going to say we've been on hiatus. Oh, I like that. I've always wanted to be involved in something where I could be on a hiatus <laughs> and I've finally achieved it. I like the way you said that. It's great to be yeah. here either way. I'm back. I'm relaxed. I'm ready to go. Okay. And as we, we all are. Yeah, fantastic. And you're here just going to steer us in the right direction. We have an amazing topic today and amazing speakers and of course you. Yes. So that's it's going to be really, really great. I might just continue the introductions before we get into the warm-up question, just it. so everyone's able to pipe up. Because you know when you don't introduce people, they're afraid to talk. So I'm just going to open them up. Uh, over here, we've got Ben Hill. Thank you. Nice to meet you. I'm a bit uh, sad. I didn't get amazing in my introduction. But well, uh, you haven't proved yourself yet. I mean, okay. I'm not saying Some you have to... to this isn't an audition. But until, if you want a nice descriptive word, next time you come back, you'll find out what I think of you. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> let's maybe hold that and we can maybe close that way for Ben. Yes. How about that? I would love that. All right. So work hard. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And rounding out the panel here today on the ship, it's Mo Begava. Well done. I panicked right at the end there that I was going to completely get my my name wrong, but I I feel like it was locked in there and I just went with my gut. Yeah, no, you you, you nailed it. I just got to work on next time not putting a question mark. Yeah, Yeah, I did did say your name (laughs) with a question mark, which is. I'm Ron Burgundy, (laughs) the speech prompter. Mo Begava. Yeah, correct. The mysterious Mo Begava. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'd like to think I'm mysterious. Yeah. Well, you get an air of mystery. Uh, and we've got a warm-up question just to, just to launch us into the conversation because uh, we are going to be dealing with uh, the issue of diversity today. So we're going to have a little diversity-based warm-up question to uh, help us set sail. Alice, what was your first experience with diversity? Lay it on us. Ah, okay. An interesting one. So for those of you who may not know, I'm actually Greek. It's hard to tell because my surname is not Greek. Hey, no judgment. <laughs> and so are you kidding me? We ruled the world. <laughs> oh, so she's got Sorry, some baggage. She's got some baggage. Very, you know, um, <laughs> it, you know, maybe it was 3,000 years ago, but we kind of yeah, did. Just some cultural um, baggage still <laughs> weighing her down. She's there still to resort. It's all right. Um, and so my first experience with it was when I was um, very, very young because mm. the diversity in Australia at the time was a little bit different. So in primary school, Mm -hmm. my lunches were very different from everybody else's and there was a very big um, European community Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, a very big Australian community at the time. And the way that that manifested, because as kids you don't really think about those things, but it really manifested in food. Mm. And so my sandwiches were really different. Um, you know, involving lots of... It exposes of, where you're from, doesn't it, it your lunch? It certainly does. It really certainly does. T- Very multicultural. And I always remember wishing I had those ham and tomato cheese sandwiches, but instead there was always some sort of Greek... Amaz- it was amazing at the time, but Greek thing, and, you know, there was a lot of bartering going on. The and unspoken so, world of lunchbox branding. Absolutely. From back in the day. So that was my first experience. And now things have changed because we're so much more, I guess, culturally sophisticated that now Anyone can have a kebab. Everybody. Everyone's got a HSP at Cool. <laughs> I love that. So that was me. That was me. Beautiful. And Ben, what was your first experience of diversity? Wow. Well, my uh, my school life in the early days wasn't that diverse. It was Vegemite sandwiches in my world. Uh, but actually, in high school, I got my first exposure to diversity. Was uh, I went to a boys' school that became co-ed while I was going through high wow. school. Wow. 
Um, Shake things up. I wish I was you. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're 15, you don't really know how to respond to it. But uh, it's some sort of American feel-good teen flick waiting to happen, isn't it? Where a, a boys' school becomes co-ed. Oh, the hijinks! <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you could travel back in time, you might have done it differently. That's for sure. But um, yeah, so that was a, a big, big change in my world where I was suddenly exposed to. Um, a lot of girls at school, but I grew up with nine sisters, so it didn't feel like diversity, but understanding the push that was going on around we're trying to make the school more diverse was the first time the concept kind of clicked. Yeah, it would have been a real cultural change, a yep. cultural shift, uh, yep. I guess. You're surrounded by nine sisters. Not yeah, so, well, one not of nine, s- seven sisters. Oh, one yeah. of nine, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. All right, that's a, that's a gaggle. It was a gaggle, no. still is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Mo, what about you, diversity? Um, probably two, two um, moments come to mind. One was when I... At the age of 12, travelled overseas for the first time, um, as a you know, with my parents and brother, and as a young Indian family, we were in Hong Kong, and um, I think that was my first experience in realising how different we were in every possible way to the natives on the island. Uh, from eating, now, speech and stuff was obvious by the age of 12, but fundamentally, I think um, I really it really took me by surprise. I did not realise until I was in the moment where we were being hosted by a family in their home um, as to the, the, the sort of depth of differences that existed in every aspect of life. Um, but I was probably too young to really worry about it, so I forgot about it the next day and went on to Disneyland. Uh, but um, growing up, I, I relocated to Australia permanently at the age of 17. And I think the first point at which I realised that... Um, there's going to be some interesting times ahead is when four people from the moment I got off the plane to when I hailed a cab couldn't get my name right. Um, so it was, you know... And not like me, I nailed like it. Not you, Rick. You, I you were nailed it. You did, so, um, so it was, you know, it was a very early... It didn't take very long to realise that um, things are going to be a bit different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I had an interesting experience in, in mm-hmm. primary school in terms of diversity. Uh, I don't know if it's pr- – maybe it's lack of diversity because I, I, I was in a fairly non-diverse uh, suburban part of Melbourne um, and I've just got boring cultural heritage, English and Scottish, but I've got quite tanned skin. And yeah. over the summer, back in the day, there was no sun smart. Your kids just went out in the sun, <laughs> just soaked it up. I, I think parents might have thought it was healthy even. There was coconut oil, yeah, yeah. I remember. Just fry them up, fry them up. <laughs> so after a summer, I, I could I could get quite the tan uh, and come back looking very sort of interesting. Um, you should have hung around on my side of the city. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I remember in grade one, I went to school and I was misbehaving in class. It was a bit of a bit of a class clown. I don't know if you'd get that from, that no. vibe from me. Um, and my teacher got sick of me and, and said, you go next door to the other class and you tell that teacher that you've got to stay in there for the rest of the day. So I, I sat and you know, I trotted off to the other class and I went to the teacher and before I could, you know, she was t- uh, speaking to the kids and before I could say anything, she went, oh, look at you. Look, children. <laughs> look at his lovely brown skin. Isn't his skin lovely? Look at it. And she was just sort of showcasing my wow, brown arms wow. to the entire class. And I was, th- and at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I was just thinking, oh, God, I've got to break the news to her that I'm here because I'm in trouble, which I did. And she made me go stand in the corner for the rest of the, uh, rest of the session. Um, but I, I wow. think back on that now, and I think, gee, I don't know if a teacher could get away with that these uh, days, sort of sure showcasing the delightful brown skin of this odd-looking child <laughs> to the entire... Um, I'm hoping that school, at least, has increased their diversity policy. 
awarenesses yeah. and uh, and awareness around those issues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but that was a fun time. Fun time to be alive. Mm. Um, <laughs> Indeed. And uh, we're going to lead now into the conversation. Uh, much much less about traumatic childhood experiences, hopefully. Uh, much more business focused. We're going to be looking at. What opportunities exist for Australian businesses to lead the way in diversity? That's what we're looking at today. Who'd like to kick us off? Well, I like that question. And I think as we frame where we're going to go with this conversation, because there's three very different um, people around as well as as me, obviously. That's four very different people. That would be four. I realised my maths were wrong as I started saying that. That's all right. But it has been a very long day. Um, and so now I've lost my train of thought. Thank you. Let's get back on there. Okay. On, we'll, we'll... Um, so part of what we should be talking about is what type of diversity we are talking about. Frame the question. Because there are so many different types. And I know Mo and I, you, were, you and I were talking earlier about um, gender diversity. Yes. And there is so much focus on that with Me Too. Yes. And there's also cultural diversity and some of our examples pointed to that. There's yes. a lot of diversity well. in diversity. And th- Well, there's a lot of diversity between the four of us. Mm-hmm. And there's also uh, age, age yes. um, diversity as well. And so all of those things play out in compositions of workforce as well as interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to put all those on the table. So Mo, Ben, are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We yeah. are just scattergun approaching our, uh, our look at diversity. If you yeah. can think of a diversity issue, we're going to hit it. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, so, can, I mean, I can have a crack at, yeah. at that. I mean... When I think about diversity, it's interesting listening to our stories up front. They're all from childhood and they're all very much about uh, race or gender in my case. So very probably a narrow view of the world of diversity. And I know when I started in corporate, one of my first jobs was in a multinational, big push to bring more women to the workforce, so affirmative action, which was, which was great and was needed for the bigger picture. Um, but as you kind of go on in life and, you know, for me growing up, maybe a little bit differently to Mo, as I was older, all of my friends were from different countries and that was just what I was used to and, and all of my friends are different colours and they, you can get away with still calling each other that because we do look differently to each other. But um, I guess bringing you know, children into the world that are now coming through and, and looking at skin colour and background and not seeing that as diverse, seeing that as natural, I think diversity is then a different topic these days. Um, so when I think about diversity in the workforce, I'm really thinking about diversity of experience. Um, how you look, what yeah, you believe great. in, which bathroom you go to, all of that's somewhat interesting, but that doesn't tell me anything about your mind. And in the workforce, it's your mind that you use most often, depending on the type of work yeah. you do, of course. Yes. You know, uh, Labouring type work, you're going to use your hands more. But um, I'm looking for the diversity in the mind rather than the appearance. Okay, and that's yeah. based on experiences as well as upbringing, as well Absolutely. as you know, um, perspectives, yep. a whole stack of things. So, Mo, what's your view on? Yeah, look, I think I think Ben raises a very good point in terms of um, you know he, he, clearly uh, you know the organisation that Ben refers to, I suspect, is one that's very mature and um, and has great exposure. Um, on the other hand, if we localise this back to Australia, um, you know, we, we're largely uh, an economy and a country that's been on the distant end of the planet for quite some time. We're uh, a long way away from everything away away except New Zealand. And yeah. we've had political <laughs> policies that have, uh, in fact, refrained us from uh, being exposed to a diverse um, base as a population for quite a long period of time. And the country is only just opening up over the last four or five decades to... Uh, where the workforce, the workplace and the marketplace has been diversified and diversified immensely. Um, so I couldn't agree more that from a mature global organisation's perspective, the spectrum is very different and understanding the consumer's mindset is probably more important than what they look like. 
but in some ways the two are interconnected um, because, um, you know, your psychology is influenced by the way, not just the wor- how the world sees you, but how you see the world. And often those things are kind of interlinked. So um, I agree with the comment that, you know, my daughter probably sees the world the same way. She's just seeing everything as being natural, but her grandmother doesn't. So... So there are consumers and, and, uh, and then there are people. So if we were to talk about people that are consumers and have the money to pay for goods and services today... I love those consumers. Uh, we all do. <laughs> they keep us in jobs uh, and bring it back to Australia. You know, that would be an interesting conversation to have as to, you know, where does Australia sit in all of this? Um, because essentially we're sitting here talking about this in Melbourne, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I wish it was Zurich, but it's not. Oh, it's, um, it's, it's the Europe of Australia, though, isn't it, really, um, <laughs> yeah, in many are, ways? Yeah, we've, yeah. we've had yeah. a wonderful summer in Melbourne, yeah. so we can't complain. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because to that point, does geography really matter? Mm-hmm. If, if experience is the sum of your parts, which might be the organisations you've worked in, because there's diversity of organisations, which for leaders might actually mean roles. Yes. Um, because we all have had, even here, different roles. Mm-hmm. We've come from different backgrounds, but that doesn't necessarily mean ethnicity. Yes. It actually means different you know, um, types of roles in organisations. Um, and then it also means different levels yes. of organisation as well. So there's diversity of that experience. And then there's a whole stack of diversity around the people that we've interacted with and the industries that we're in mm. because our experiences are all formed by those things. Yes. So how much do you think that matters, and this is to, you know, to you, Ben, as well, how much does all of that matter and influence what it is when you're talking about, you know, being a leader in an organisation? Look, I think it matters immensely. There's, there's probably um, life experience is, is fundamentally the biggest factor in understanding and managing diversity. Um, somebody who, you know, in fact, I was having a conversation a few hours ago with a young, young leader who's 28, um, you know, working in a leading Australian corporation that has a team which is very, very diverse in every spectrum that we've touched on. Um, his life experience will be very different um, over the next 10 to 15 years as he grows up to being a future leader to somebody who has never managed a diverse workforce but finds themselves today at at a very different stage in life managing what is a very diverse workforce. So um, I think, yeah, to answer your question, life experience both on the job and off the job fundamentally influences... um, your view and comfort levels with diversity at all levels. Ben? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's interesting reflecting on, as Mo was speaking, uh, the company I work in has very, very strong regional footprint. And um, historically, that's meant that the people that have lived in those local communities in regional areas are the people that end up in our workforce. Um, and you could argue that that's led to a certain profile. Um, so that experience is very different than when we've acquired businesses more recently than metropolitan um, that have a much younger demographic, uh, a much more diverse work for, workforce, mm, I would say, yeah. um, and how that started to shift the psyche and the culture of the organisation. So the experiences you have you know, from childhood, which we started with, to, to whatever age you get to in life, certainly shapes you. And that's the whole nurture over nature thing that I guess I was getting at before is what's in your mind is, is what comes through nurture. Um, and I think that's where you get the most diversity and the most interesting aspects in, in, in work. I've been reading a lot at the moment... Um, 
just because of something else I'm working on around. You've got a lot uh, of things going on, we I know. I do. I yeah, do have a lot of stuff busy. going on. She's very busy. She reads a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I've derailed you again. Now lots of leather-bound books. Yes. You have. Yeah. I love books and I um, I am not on Kindle. I know I should be as a digital, you know, person. but no, some, The old ways are sometimes charming. Yeah, mm. I like it. Um, uh, now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, Thank I you, Rick. Always. <laughs> now, you were reading a book for some other reason uh, that we shouldn't <laughs> ask about. Oh, I've been um, very interested lately in the concept of bias and all these you know inherent biases that we bring and it's interesting reflecting on the conversation as we're having it now that so much of our experiences and they may be positive experiences as well as you know challenging or negative ones that create these perceptions around how open we are to different things and there's so much of it that we see I guess interpersonally and also in the workplace around our perspectives on what it means to be a millennial, you know, and the stereotypes that we play into. And stereotypes are really our affirmation of our biases. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and ageism, which is also really important to me because... Don't make an ageist joke there. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Rick, for people on the podcast. Um, (laughs) I'm the oldest one here. And so, you know, that plays out in lots of lots of different ways as well as the whole idea of um, the geography and where people are located. Even, I've got to say, as we're thinking about this, the types of organisations, and I've worked in some, where um, people may be based, for example, the more white-collar-based roles in the headquarters mm. or head office versus, depending on the industry that you're in, the more, you know, you may be in a rural site. Yes. And so there's um, bias and diversity there mm-hmm. um, that may or may not necessarily be viewed through a positive lens sometimes. You know, it's like we're the people that kind of know what's happening and the, uh, you know, that sort of idea of maybe working class yes. um, versus the people who make the decisions. And then that plays necessarily sometimes into where the information and the knowledge is. So one of the things I've been interested in with digital is the idea that knowledge is wherever it is yes. and the democratisation of information and access to expertise comes from anywhere. So have, you, have, have either of you had that experience or have a perspective on that? Digitisation of information, I, I, I think it's um, one of the challenges I have with that. Is, I'm so happy you said you're reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> one of the challenges I have, and I was actually having a session, uh, a mentoring session with, with a lady yesterday and, and talking about the importance of having breadth and having exposure and, and experience, but having something you can go deep on because I think a lot of shallowness doesn't get you a long way. It makes you really nimble in the world. It makes you able to flex and change, but it really allows you to settle and and feel comfortable in something. Um, and so I think the challenge we have with, with digital news is because it's curated for us and presented to us. Um, I think we as, as humans in this age are losing some of our ability to think freely for ourselves. Um, we can think critically. We've all got very good at thinking critically. But I think the ability to go and teach ourselves and learn more than what's on Wikipedia or Google, um, I think that's concerning. I think that's concerning that everything, if, if you're interested in a topic, generally you'll find that topic being farmed to you digitally for months and months and months. Yeah, I think mostly in hashtags now. That's yeah. all. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's a challenge. Like, yeah. I think it's a real challenge because um, everybody's got throwaway statements these days to make themselves look smart. Hmm. Yeah. And it's the sound bite as well. Mm. So when you think about it from a perspective of diversity, do we have a diversity of views? Mm. We've been talking a lot about where those views come from, mm. but even you know between us, if we're, it doesn't really matter in some ways if we're the different ages, different backgrounds, um, you know, different uh, genders. 
um, and different roles, if we're all sitting around a lunch table in an office, being fed the same type of information and maybe being fed too strong a, an image, but certainly consuming the same information from the same sources, then do we have a diversity of opinions? Mo? So I was thinking of a throwaway statement to, to sound smart, as Ben mentioned that. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I go for it. Thought it has this... A, Can you hashtag a, it? A fish doesn't know it's wet. Yes. Mm. Right? So when you talk about familiarity bias and the biases that exist, you know... So you can look at a workplace and say there's two di dimensions to a business. There's the workforce and then there's a the workplace. And in some instances, the workplace can be referred to as the headquarters and then the workforce is the field team. And some businesses today um, have an immensely diverse workforce out on the field, but that doesn't necessarily imply that the workplace is very diverse. Uh, in terms of headquarters. So, you know, there's a lot of work being done on that as well because I think you touched on it earlier as to how many people believe they have the right answers and uh, often will refer to the organisations as being extremely diverse. Uh, but when, it really, when you really go deep on an issue and you try to really understand the, the decision-making that's happening in the organisation and what is really going on in there, you start to understand that everybody is a fish <laughs> and they're sitting around a board table <laughs> and they just don't know that they're wet. <laughs> so it's kind of a, you know, it's very much the biases are real and, you know, yeah. um, often you hear throwaway statements around, you know, he or she is the right cultural fit and, you know, you have to go deep within that as well if you really need to understand if that is a bias statement because... What, is, what does that imply? I love that. And know, I want to ask you that question, actually, yeah. which is how much, and this is for both of you, but please yeah. continue, how much of uh, this is attributable or influenced by uh, the culture of the organisation more than the experiences that you bring? Enormously so, I yeah. would say, because businesses place values at the centre of, or most businesses place values at the centre of everything they want to be, and those values then influence the behaviours, which in turn influences the culture of a business. So... Um, I'd say, yeah, it does create a bias. Um, Mo's 100% right. We used to, a sales director, I worked in a confectionery company who used to say, we've never sold a cherry ripe out of head office. And the intent being get out and see the real world to understand the real world. Um, but I think there's a flip to it, which is that's the positivity that you build because you, you know, as human beings, you do build your little clan around you. Um, and we generally do work better as a group than we do as individuals. So, there's, there's pros and cons to it, but I guess it can be a bit of a barrier to a diversity of thought because if someone's not a cultural fit, if they're the square peg, round hole, whatever you want to say, then they might not fit in that organisation, even though their way of thinking, their way of working might be something that is really, really needed in that organisation. So diversity to a point. <laughs> Except, acceptable spread of diversity. Yeah, right. we don't, you know. As long as you conform. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're actually happy for you to be yeah. diverse. Look, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic right because you know we we are seeing a lot of this stuff unfold in high engagement sectors in the economy so um you know a year ago or a couple of years ago when the australian team was performing so well in, in cricket um you asked anybody in the management team and it was attributed to the culture and everybody was the right cultural fit mm. at a very senior level in that organization a lot of buy-in uh, a lot of buy-in everybody's bought into it right <laughs> now but you know fundamentally um does that imply? Does, does where does that go from that point on? I think we're all seeing it unravel. So, so it's it's a really um, you know I I fully subscribe to the view that you have to be able to work well with people, and 
you have to have a certain level of alignment when it comes to goals and, 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 and mutual respect. But if there's 20 people in the room that all think the same way, act the same way, and, um, and agree or disagree on all the same things, uh, that, that's a very delicate and probably risky way to do business uh, in the current landscape, which is, which is changing by the day, let alone the years. So, um, so yeah, I mean, look, this, this, is a, this is a topic that we can talk about for the rest of this podcast, yeah, but yeah. I'm conscious of time as well. So it's an interesting one, though, because you talked about um, cricket and we've also seen this. The other thing that's topical is the uh, Royal Commission into the, the banks or the yes. you know, financial services. And so what we're kind of seeing there is how this does play out in a, really, in a very real environment. Mm. And so it's yeah, The Australian cricket team, they were on a sinking ship and didn't realise they were wet. I think <laughs> the, um, the, the banks knew they were on a sinking ship and didn't care that they were wet. Yeah, which is why this whole thing, when we go back to the question of diver how important is diversity in organisations, it, you know, it's almost um, to the point to say it is very important. However, what you said earlier, Rick, is... You know, as a as an aside, is actually true, which is diversity to an extent. So, how much of the culture then actually suppresses the diversity of experience, or age, or gender, mm. or perspective that actually helps contribute to an organisation's performance? If you know you're not necessarily someone like Steve Jobs, I love that quote, and mm. I'm not going to even try and um, say all of it, but you you will Just know it. Paraphrase for us. You know the one that says, "Give me your misfits." Um, mm. the, you know the whole thing about the people that don't fit in. Sorry, it's been a long day, and I can't remember yeah. it but you know which you one you know the because, blah 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 because it, it's jobs jobs etc well it speaks to the whole thing about where people come from so yeah. i mean from your perspective what are you sort of how are you seeing that play out in organizations and what do you think the most important things for leaders to be doing in this space to encourage this are um look i've i've been in speaking from personal and professional experience um and putting the consumer first is is fundamentally what every business will tell you today we put our customers first um, and I fundamentally think a lot of the businesses that I've worked for have, have done that or are attempting – there's a constant pursuit to do that. But it's, it's some, on occasions what happens is when you're trying to do that is everybody w agrees that we need systematic change, but nobody wants to change individually. So it, there's a, there, it creates a bit of a friction on occasions, which is I believe is healthy friction for, because that's, there's nothing that's going to change or evolve without that in businesses. Um, so in terms of how businesses address it, there's – we have in, – in, when I was at Village Roadshow, there was a very clear focus on uh, seniors, for example. We've talked about – and I shouldn't even refer to – that, that segment of seniors, but the, the let's just say the 60-plus um, segment from an age perspective. Um, and, you know, the business had to do a lot of work to understand what are the needs and requirements of that customer set uh, because the value proposition to our business made sense. Uh, so we, we put the right steps in place to ensure that the patronage and the, and, and the product both aligned well don't they've um, got time to go see some movies. Yeah, <laughs> sixty yeah, plus. Correct. Get correct. them in there. Weekdays in the mornings. It's, right. it's it's very useful. Get them out of the sun. Um, <laughs> and equally, the the multicultural segment from you know Bollywood and Chinese films and all these things have certainly helped prop up the industry because it's a very flat industry by and large in Australia. Right. So these these one percenters are actually what's driving growth. Right. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, and that one percenter gradually becomes a three percent and a four percent. And a five percent, and then it becomes something that the board pays attention to. Right. So, by and large, we are reacting to yeah. these opportunities. 
Um, and now I find myself in, a, in an industry which is extremely healthy, and, you know, the caravanning and camping industry in Australia. But, but essentially, this is an industry that ha- is, is propped up by um, second-generation Australians as customers. Uh, a lot of first-generation Australians find it to be very foreign, and the business and the category both um, are at a point where we need to find ways to make the product and the proposition more inclusive, um, which is a very different stage to where some other businesses would be. And the challenge is very different. And the same challenge is for businesses like the AFL. You know, they're, they're seeing the Australian landscape change fundamentally. And, and how do they recruit people into experiences and products that are native to Australia? Which is interesting because you're talking about the nature of um, families changing and the nature of interests changing as well as demographics. So it makes sense then from that that diversity perspective to engage with different types of people Mm. um, across different age boundaries and so forth, as well as financial sense for organisations. So there's a bottom line benefit to actually understanding how to do this. Ben? It's funny how you can find uh, similarities in completely different... Uh, jobs and yeah. brands and experiences. I mean, one of the brands that we're lucky enough to have uh, in my business is Vegemite. Right. And, you know, Vegemite, a bit like the AFL, it's an iconic part of Australia and it's very Australian, but it is, to Mo's point before, it's very reliant on second, third plus generation Australians. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where you think about everyone's first experience with Vegemite is generally not a positive one if they're an adult, right? So you, you think about it and say, yeah, and I you think about it and say, <laughs> if you were launching this product to Australia today, it wouldn't get off the ground. Right. You know, it wouldn't get off the ground. So you've got to look at every day as, okay, we've got to go and recruit new people to this brand every single day. Um, and how you do that is you have to make it more accessible. You have to be more diverse in your offer right. to be more accessible to more people, not just expect that everyone's going to come around to the old way of life. Right. We've also got to educate people about how to eat Vegemite as well. A lot, a lot of people's first attempt at Vegemite is um, no one would enjoy that experience. Even people who love Vegemite would be like, that is too much Vegemite. People smear it on like it's peanut butter uh, and they're like, well, this doesn't taste so good. It's a very delicate balance, the Vegemite balance. The importance of butter is underestimated. Yeah, yeah butter and just, and just the right amount of... Sp- you're not lathering Vegemite on if you want to enjoy the experience. But people, for some reason, when they first try it, they're like, I'm just going to grab as much Vegemite as I can and see how I like it. Yeah. I, I don't you, like it. You can it. find that sort of that video cut from every American talk show, right? Yeah, where oh, yeah. Ellen yeah, just squeezes yeah. douse on the toast. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's not going to work, Ellen. not going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So imagine that as, as the challenge every day for us trying to get the growing population to engage in our brand. Yeah. So you have to be really diverse with what you offer, um, which is why you know we take it to very different spaces outside of the product in the jar. It's the only mm. way to bring people to the brand. Which is interesting because the whole idea of Vegemite is that it is iconic. Mm-hmm. And I, I, iconoclas- I, um, that whole idea of you know um, being an icon plays again into those stereotypes that we have that this, these are traditions and that they're worth maintaining and upholding. I had, um, I have to say, I did have uh, Vegemite very late in life. Not something that I would have traded my sandwich for at school. (laughs) (laughs) And I may have had the experience that both you and Rick um, described. (laughs) This is is where it comes back to then how do you make sure that when you're representing brands to a market, we're talking about diversity and all those things, how do you represent a brand out there that is inclusive? Because being an icon that's linked to a nationality can not always be inclusive to people and not necessarily feeling connected to that nationality. Yeah. So that, that's an ongoing challenge and it's not an easy challenge, but um, it's part of the fun of working in, in the world. Yeah, I mean, and that, that, that's an, and we, we can 
probably Ben and I can keep talking about this because we should do a job swap at some time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so... Oh, there's you know, a diversity uh, initiative in there. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like so, so the same thing, you know, with Big Four Holiday Parks, um, um, you know, where, where, where the brand's mission is to inspire people to take the ultimate Australian holiday. Now, that byline is so beautiful and inspiring, but the definition of the Australian holiday itself has to become more inclusive. It's marginalising, and, and, you know, isn't we, it? We, you know, because, you know, who defines the Australian holiday? Am I, to, you know, and how do we actually make sure that that is an inclusive definition and proposition? So, so the work we are doing is very much in line with exactly what Ben's talking about is, you know, we have to acknowledge that Australia is changing and how do we re-educate or inform customers about what it is that we truly offer as an experience and how do we, yeah, and how do we reconnect and re-engage on a daily basis? Because yeah, cool. well, when I was a yeah. kid, the ultimate Australian holiday was going and climbing Ayers Rock. That hasn't changed, has it? That's all no. still, that's oh, what that's people do, awesome. climbing Ayers Rock. <laughs> you just that go has, and climb it. That's what you do. That has you not just changed go there, find at it, climb all. It. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of uh, people listening probably don't even know what Ayers Rock is and that's probably all for the better. And the people that do know how <laughs> horrifying and disrespectful it is to climb yeah. it now and yeah. are probably saying, Rick, what but are that you really, talking no, about? But that, when we were kids, that was like... Yeah. Yeah, it was did. what was done. That was the Australian holiday. You yeah. go to the middle, climb that rock. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you are always reimagining and redefining what is uh, that and you've always got to be aware of when things fall out of favour. It's really interesting because on the perspective of cultural, um, I guess, diversity, part of it is um, the aspiration and then part of it is marginalisation. Yes. And so when does it you know, become something, the great Australian dream, for example... Um, is something that's talked about as being an aspiration and now you're talking about the holiday being an area of marginalisation, which is exclusion. Um, so it, just to bring it back then into, you know, the business world, what, is that, what does that look like in teams then or when you're trying to either engage customers or get that change happening internally? How do you feel that that plays out? Is it a pro and con? Is it something that people think about? Is it something that's not considered as a as an influencer at all in decision-making? I, uh, I was lucky enough to watch Mo present a fantastic case study on movies once, <laughs> The Fast and the Furious. I don't know if you want to talk about that because I think that's a way of companies thinking about branching out mm. to reach different people. Right. You still remember it? I'd, I'd like, I do, to, I'd I like to hear it because I, I've got my own views on The Fast and the Furious franchise. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, look, for the record, I don't... If you haven't seen the film, don't bother. It's not a good film, <laughs> but but fun or a franchise rather. But fundamentally, you may have just marginalised hey, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole session. You, <laughs> you shut your mouth, yeah, Mo. That's exactly, that's good. That's we good. might We're, need some editing this there. This is a bad debate. <laughs> so, uh, no, no. Look, I think I thought it started shaky, but geez, it ended strong. Uh, fundamentally, uh, that what I what Ben is referring to, and what I presented a while ago was a case study around how this franchise has gone on to become. Uh, one of the world's biggest movie franchises and it, the success is underpinned by how seamlessly they have uh, made it very inclusive. So, and, and you know, it's hard to deliver in the short amount of time that we have today, but... No, break lot, it down for us. Take as much time as you like. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work has gone into uh, ensuring that the storyline, the cast, the script, the screen setting, all the various building blocks that it takes to make a wonderful screenplay that is a movie, is inclusive. So, and and there's a fun, there's a lot of research out there that one can lean on, particularly when it comes to media and content, around what makes what appeals to certain audience sets, and what doesn't appeal to certain audience sets. And then certain audience sets are neutral on certain things. So, um, for one small example would be. Uh, 
um, you know, when you're producing content, and there's a lot of research from the states that that um, demonstrates very clearly that the music score in a TV show or a film is paramount to um, its affinity to the Black American population or the community. And if your music score is not going to, um, you know, at the very outset. Um, engage that community, it's very unlikely that they will engage with the content. It's kind of shortcut uh, connections. If yeah, you just yeah, correct. So, and on the other hand, it's it's more or less neutral for most of the other communities in a lot of ways. So, so why not take that opportunity and and exp- you know, from a capitalist point of view, why not exploit that opportunity yeah, as well? Yeah. So leverage, I think, is how we would say is, it in the is, business is, world. Uh, well, <laughs> consultant would call it leverage. Uh, a business would call the it exploit. The boardroom would call exploit. it exploit. Yeah, <laughs> the boardroom would call it exploit. What would bankers so, call it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, so there, that's just one soundbite out of that that case study. But there's there are you need to know at a psychological and emotional level what are the things that will engage and bring people into your world. And it no, and there's no silver bullet to this. Vegemite is a very different proposition to a Big Four holiday park. Um, so how do we actually, you know, leverage those those opportunities? But fundamentally, they are, they are underpinned by good, sound insights uh, that we have to cultivate as marketers and business owners. And you also need to know that Fast and the Furious is not about cars. It's about family. <laughs> it's about family, people. Someone sounds like they've Just been the reading... Just the bonds of family. They've been reading the, what it um, means. the sound bite on that. What it means to belong. <laughs> I really thought You can count on family, guys. You can count on family. Fast cars, which is why I've it's never seen cars. it. It's not about cars. <laughs> You've gotten it all wrong. The first two were about cars. How many of them are there? There's eight. What? You're kidding? There's eight. Eight? Okay. I cried on a plane watching the eight one. There's is that wrong? That's two more that have been great. It's not enough. There's two more coming. Really? I was going to say almost as many sisters as you have been. Uh, we are heading okay. towards the end of this discussion. Um, so any final thoughts on what Australian businesses, what opportunities Australian businesses might have to, uh, to drive that diversity? Yeah, and can I just add a question then to, um, to add to that mm. for, um, for Mo and Ben, just some last-minute wisdom in terms of, I guess, leaders looking to leverage this? Because I think we've had a good conversation around what diversity means and why it makes sense. It makes sense for the bottom line and for you know, a whole stack of other reasons. Um, I guess what, what insights would you share with leaders who are saying, I want to do this, but I'm not quite sure how? I think... A little bit of what we've identified today is there's an internal and external part to it. So we've talked about how you leverage um, diversity in your consideration, the consumer set to, to drive your business. And we've also had a discussion about how you use it internally to drive a more productive, engaged and hopefully successful team slash business. So there's, I think there's two elements to it. I think what brings them both together, though, is there's a formality that needs to be involved around it. And so, you know, Mo talked about having robust and, and, and deep consumer understanding and, and insight, and insight is the word. Um, you've got to do that both ways. So I think internally you have to add some formality to it. You have to uh, make a conscious effort. Because if you just say, yep, we're going to work towards being a more diverse workforce, that's great. But I think you have to define what you mean by that and then how you get there. One of, one of the examples we've got at, in our company is um, historically, the, the recruiting brief would have been from a marketing department would have been um, minimum three to five years FMCG marketing experience. Welcome aboard. And, and guess what? They're going to come in with the same process, the same ways of thinking, the same ways of creating content. Um, so we're changing that to where we want only 50% of the team to have that kind of experience. We think it's still important because that's that depth piece that we touched on a long way back in this podcast. But You've got to have that depth, but you've got to have the breadth. And and the best way to do it is not necessarily try and find that in one person. I think find that in your team. So for me, it's about as a business leader, you've got to be you've got to be formal about it. You've got to set an agenda internally about it, 
Um, and then when you're working to create um, opportunities, whether they be products, content, whatever it might be that your services that you're selling, um, you have to put a conscious overlay on that as well. I don't think it's just going to happen by talking about it. Uh, and one of the ways we approach is we do have a formal approach to, to um, diversity both internally and externally. Right. Yeah. And I think from the conversation today, we started off talking about diversity meaning one thing. Yeah. And then we've gone, you know, and, and expanded that. So yeah, I really like the takeaway that you have to uh, be genuine about it and yeah. you have to give it thought because there is a lot to yeah. think about. I mean, there's a world our kids are inhabiting that hopefully is more diverse than the one that we grew up in and we think, you know, generally most people think that's a positive thing. But whilst it's going to be more diverse in one way for them, there's still going to be diversity challenges, whether yes. that is ages and whether that's <laughs> looking at generations differently. And um, and they're going to have, like we used the word earlier, biases. They're going to still have their own biases. So it requires conscious effort. Conscious effort takes, there's a reason the word effort goes with it. Hmm. So I think putting some process and formality around it is one of the better ways to get okay. it. Okay. It's good. It's good guidance, Mo. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, in my experience, though, what's what's... What's played out to being quite useful is um, taking the conversation away from data to humans. So where we have actually, on occasions, um, really um, presented a humanised version of a data set to the board. So, uh, and that often means time in the field, uh, time in areas that senior management may not be exposed to, uh, both geographically and economically. Because uh, it's very hard. Sometimes, uh, you know, I think, uh, Ben, you tell me if you agree, but so many times we have senior managers in organisations uh, vetting concepts and hypotheses on the basis of their own social behaviour and their children and so forth. Um, and, and, you know, if you're somebody that's in the leafy east in Melbourne uh, and your kids go to a certain school, um, you know, your, your, what you see in your world will be very different to what the data is telling you fundamentally and then how do you how do you you know how do you keep lobbing that i mean you have to take this individual into a complete you know you have to humanize the data is what i've found personally to be effective and the second part in that is uh the economics of it you know where we have a lot of data to suggest and help us uh validate the right business case because um, you know, fundamentally, if you looked at Australia's report card as, as a business community, we are by and large reactive to, to global forces, to the changing population mix. Uh, there are a handful of companies that will do amazing things proactively. So if, you know, but by and large, that's, that's, where we're, that's what the report card tells us. And in that instance, I, in my experience, have found that if I can... Elevate from a from a statistic to humanising what the what the board sees, and also then backing them up, backing it up thereafter with the data has from a commercial standpoint has really helped. What about you, Alice? Where are you at? Oh, you know, I was uh, Mo and I were talking um, earlier. We hadn't had the chance to meet um, before the the podcast, and I was talking about the fact that I changed roles last year. And before that, I had had a reasonably long, I'm trying to <laughs> sound mysterious mm, there, a reasonably so long enigmatic. career <laughs> in um, corporate. Oh. And whilst I've had a diversity of um, experience across industries and organisations and levels, um, and I've worked in different parts of the world as well, what I've noticed in the last 12 months is I'm doing a lot of different types of things. 
and I am meeting more people that are outside of corporate. Mm. And so the diversity of experience and exposure um, for me has is actually coming in a lot of different ways. So it's not just necessarily a cultural background. Uh, I am dealing with a lot more um, millennials who are very digital savvy and I know the conversations that I have with them are very different from what I would have had and still do have actually um, because of the work I do uh, with corporate larger corporates um, and you see different types of things in terms of aptitude for change um, ability to challenge status quo and also openness and curiosity to the whole idea of lifelong learning mm -hmm. and so I think for organizations anytime I really liked what you said Mo the whole idea of getting out there and working amongst different types of people puts you in a completely different mindset around yeah. the types of things that are available and I think sometimes the best thing you can do is understand how little you know. Oh, let's, I start every day just reminding myself <laughs> exactly that. And we may remind you again yeah, after yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being awful. Yeah. But I, it's I got it tattooed it. on me but I didn't get it backwards so I look at it in the mirror and it's, I, can't see, I can't read it. Well, what about you? You've been listening to us for the last... Yeah, look, you know, uh, look. unfortunately long? now, my only real takeaway is that there's two more Fast and the Furious films coming and <laughs> I, I just can't wait. Um, but I do feel like um, businesses in Australia and in general could apply the Fast and Furious approach um, because no matter what your business is about, look, it shouldn't be about cars, it should be about family um, and your corporate family. If you can put all the diverse ingredients together, you're going to increase your, the diversity of your appeal uh, and... Uh, it's, that's the heart of it. You've got to find the heart. Because family is joined together by uh, your shared cultural history uh, and corporate families are bound together by their shared cultural objective. Um, so, look, just I don't think there's uh, anything wrong with sitting the entire company down and watching some Fast and the Furious and um, figuring out what the takeaways are because there's more than you think. It's more than you think, guys. All right. I feel like I need to put that on my mm. watch Rick, list. That was an outstanding culmination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us on this conversation. This has been the Leadership of Fools, and we are out of here. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening. 